Well, as I was saying, James Pinero is a very interesting young journalist born on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. We won't hold that against him. He went to Dartmouth, where he majored in the classics, an unusual major, and was editor of the Dartmouth Review. For those that don't know about the Dartmouth Review, it's a conservative-oriented student publication that's been controversial at times. After school, he was uh, an editor at the National Review and worked directly for William F. Buckley, the famous conservative writer and founder, one of the founders of the National Review. He was Buckley's writing assistant in Switzerland. He was in the Ph.D. program for a while at Brown University, studying late 19th century French modernism, talk about an esoteric area. Uh, and then he's been at the New Criterion, a very interesting, little known, but check it out if you have the interest, very interesting uh, cultural publication that uh, has really, for its size, really had a big impact in the cultural debate in America at times. And he writes regularly for the City Journal, the Manhattan Institute, for the Wall Street Journal, and other publications. And he happened, I hadn't never met him before. He was on this tour that I was on late last week, sponsored in part by uh, Cabot Oil and Gas down in Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. And I suspect it was the first time he ever got a look at natural gas drilling and hydrofracking. And he's joining us right now from New York. Good morning, uh, James. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Great well, pleasure to be here. Great Thanks. to have you. Uh, first question, of course, is with your background, what were you doing uh, tramping around the mud of uh, northeastern uh, Pennsylvania? Why did you have the interest or enough interest to come up there and uh, see what was going on? Well, I have a great deal of curiosity about this issue. Um, I want to write about it for City Journal, and I hope to have a story out about it in the next several months. You know, as you say, I am born and raised in the Upper West Side, and thanks for not holding that against me. <laughs> <laughs> but where I live, there is really a terrible misunderstanding about hydrofracturing. Terrible. And whether it's ignorance or willful blindness, you know, I had friends talk to me when I said I was going on this trip. They said, don't drink the water. <laughs> Did you drink the water? Did you light the water on fire? I think they expected it to look like some World War I trench wasteland, right. and it's totally not that at all. Um, you know, I have my theories about, uh, you know, why um, downstaters like myself ha have this relationship to this issue, and I think it has to do with a kind of mystical, quasi-religious understanding of the environment that's really detached from reality. Environmentalism is a faith to many of the people I live with down here. Well, I think you're absolutely right, and it's replacing a faith that people once had. You know, you read um, Genesis, and it's clear, I mean, it's stated explicitly that God made man to rule over the animals, to rule over nature. Now, with the decline of the Judeo-Christian traditions in our society, we have a kind of pantheism, or, uh, you know, in a primitive form of religion that's uh, almost a throwback uh, to earlier times, pre-Judeo-Christian, where people impart to nature certain holy qualities that just aren't there. They um, project a mysticism into it that uh, just, uh, I think, is a replacement for the spiritual needs of people who no longer believe in traditional religions. That's right, and you can trace this back to Emerson and before that to sweet... The transcendental, uh, very much so, transcendentalism. Transcendentalism, yes. and, you know, so the, knowing that, the problem is that you can't appeal to common sense on this issue alone. So we can make common sense arguments all we want, but that's just not going to convince people. So you have to, I think, look at this kind of faith they have and, and make arguments based on that faith system. I agree. Let me note that um, James uh, Pinero recently did a lengthy piece for City Journal on PCBs in the Hudson River, something I have a good deal of familiarity with, and people were told early on that PCB, PCBs were going to be this great danger 
federal government, the state government uh, stepped in. They forced GE to spend well over a billion dollars, I think it is now. And there's never, ever been a showing that anyone was ever harmed by PCBs in the Hudson River. And I know that uh, very well because I covered it for many, many years. Uh, were you, uh, by the way, I started out when I first was writing about PCBs in the Hudson River, James, and this was back in the mid-1970s when the whole thing was unfolding. I started out believing that there were going to be serious findings of, of, of public health harm, of environmental damage, and I was waiting and waiting and waiting for the results to come in, and when they finally started coming in, there was virtually nothing there to show that anybody was harmed by this. So I underwent a transformation, which helps explain a lot of my attitudes today towards the environmentalists, who I know use these issues to raise hundreds of millions of dollars, literally, maybe even billions over the years, in funds by scaring people. Were you surprised at all by what you found as you studied over, it's really over about a 40-year period or 35-year period, the evolution of the PCB story in New York State? Well, it certainly has so many chapters, and, you know, what I saw upstate Really, the destruction that was occurring was at the hands of the EPA, enforcing this Superfund cleanup that was totally unnecessary. It was really disrupting the lives of the locals up there. And in fact, it was releasing PCBs into the Hudson. It was a purely punitive move to punish GE. Yeah. Well, and the environmentalists uh, love the idea of doing that. Here was a company, one of the world's great companies at the time, that had federal permits and state permits to uh, make the discharges of the PCBs. Some 3,000 people were being employed at Fort Edward and Hudson Falls. Now those communities are semi-ghost towns, as we know. GE has long since left. And that was really... Uh, uh, kind of a, a reinforcement of the perception that had really started under Nelson Rockefeller that New York State was no longer a friendly state towards the private sector. And interestingly enough, Governor Hugh Carey at the time was trying, he was actually trying to resist a lot of the pressure from the environmentalists. And within his own administration, he had the DEC Commissioner Ogden Reed and then Peter Burley uh, fighting with his Commerce Commissioner, as he was then known, uh, who was a very distinguished businessman, a young guy at the time, but he's, um, I'm just I'm blanking out on his name. Do you know who I'm talking about? He was deputy mayor in New York City. He owns a very uh, famous winery in um, in uh, Dutchess County now. It'll come, back, it'll come to me in a second. But anyway, you had a governor back then who was well aware of the danger to the uh, state's image by, of, of demonizing the business community, John Dyson. Uh, was the was the individual and uh, ultimately uh, Kerry I think lost the battle. Remember I don't know. Did you ever uh, uh, were you reading at all about the incident where I think it was 1980 or 81? Hugh Kerry, the governor, said he could drink a glass of PCBs. <laughs> I had... know. I remember that incident. And I wanted to drink my own glass mm -hmm. of PCBs, but they wouldn't give it to me. Well, let me note. I mean, he, people made fun of him. Uh, Hugh, uh, Mario Cuomo was lieutenant governor at the time and said that's why Hugh Kerry's uh, hair had turned red. He had dyed his head uh, yellow, uh, reddish color. But the truth was. There was a very distinguished New York State Health Commissioner at the time named David Axelrod who had told Hugh Carey that PCBs, notwithstanding all the publicity, weren't that dangerous. His point to the governor was because there had been an incident down in Binghamton where a tra big transformer in the state office building had exploded and people were concerned that there were PCBs spread throughout the building, and there had been, and there was panic about it. And the health commissioner told the governor they're not that dangerous. You wonder what now... 
In this day and age, what the New York State Health Commissioner, uh, Nirav Shaw, is going to be telling Governor Cuomo as he studies hydrofracking around the country, because I've been pointing out it's not as if Pennsylvania, as we both know, is a third world country. They have a health department. They have an environmental department. The U.S. EPA oversees what's going on there, yet they've got an investment of $2 billion in Susquehanna County alone from the gas companies with only beneficial uh, results. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and just... On that PCB issue, one last thing you mentioned, they had permits for all those releases. And then to go after them 30 years later, right. that's a scary thought about government thuggery to me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. Give us, if you would, your impressions of what you saw. I mean, I was there with you, but we didn't talk at any great length on your impressions. So I'll be interested in hearing them, too, about what you saw at drilling sites, at hydrofracking a site, which we were uh, witnessing, and then just the countryside, a great deal of poverty there, that was clear, but loads of homes with new roofs on them and new businesses being built. Give us your impressions. Well, you know, I left with a, really a deep sense of gratitude for the blessing of Mother Nature, you know, for leaving this energy abundance a mile beneath our feet. Yes. Uh, that's one way to look at it. Uh, I also have to say I was very impressed with the work of the oil and gas people that we met. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and grateful for their expertise. Um, you know, any community would be fortunate to welcome those skilled craftsmen. Uh, except, except, except New York. <laughs> except the southern tier of New York. By the way, I don't know if you've heard this, and I'll let you speak again. You've got plenty of time. But in the last two days, uh, James, uh, we've had news came out. It's in the uh, Binghamton paper today. Broome County, where Binghamton is, uh, suffer, suffered the worst population loss of any county in New York State. And now we have something like a 40% increase of uh, the number of upstate counties with uh, unemployment levels above 10%, which is well above the national average, as we know. So Governor Cuomo, who says he's trying to create jobs, 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 is presiding over an ongoing disintegration of upstate, not any improvements. And well, and actually, I met him, I met workers who were commuting down from New York sure. into Pennsylvania to take these gas jobs, and actually had moved out of New York. So you're going to have a continued uh, drain of talent out of New York until we fix this issue. Um, you know, I also want to say the impact on the land in Pennsylvania is de minimis. Yeah. I, I was amazed at what little impact this much gas production had. You know, the pipelines all run underground, under the roads, under the fields. And if anything, the, the difference you see is freshly paved roads. It looks better in and, the gas area. And spruced up, spruced up homes, which look nicer, although maybe to some of the uh, very, very wealthy people who don't want to have gas drilling go on, they like to see the kind of struggling peonage in the area, the, uh, the serfs trying to get along uh, by, able to, by being able to meet the uh, cost of their property taxes and other expenses that they incur. Boy, that, that would be sad if that's the case. Well, it is the of, case. Um, you know, they like, like the decay. Um, uh, well, that's the local color from their point of view. The people who commute from New York City and they spend a month or two in their country home in uh, Broome County or wherever it may be, uh, many of them enjoy seeing the locals look like locals instead of being, say, their, uh, maybe their economic equal, if not superior. Well, you might have some in there. And, you know, and Tom Shepstone, I know you had on the sh- your show earlier this week, you yes. know, he mentioned, you know, the, the big names behind uh, fracking opposition. And it, the tremendous hypocrisy of Rockefellers to be against uh, oil and gas exploration. I mean, that's really, it, it, it boggles the mind to me. 
I agree. By the way, t- uh, we expect Tom Shepstone to have what I think is going to be a very interesting op-ed uh, article in the New York Post on Monday, so be sure to uh, watch for that. I was very impressed by some of the research he's done, and I think the uh, New York Post is going to, and readers will be impressed as well. From your perspective, uh, James, in New York City, uh, uh, what do you mean, you know, just if you could expand a little bit more on your insights into this sort of what I consider to be fanatical environmentalism, where it doesn't matter what the truth is. They rely on a movie like Gasland, which is filled with lies, the famous or infamous incident of the exploding kitchen sink with gas. I mean, that's really um, impressed itself, burned itself, one might say, into the minds of a great many people. And the fact that the Colorado Environmental Conservation Department investigated it, found it was false, had nothing to do with hydrofracking, doesn't seem to matter to anybody. Usually, It used to be, and I'll let you talk in a second, it used to be that people on the left, the liberal critics of a society, would welcome the opportunity to adduce facts to make their case. Now it seems to be they want to just ignore facts to the point where the governor, for instance, uh, not that long ago, this week, earlier this week and a few months ago, uh, spoke as if there was a kind of a factual equivalency between the claims of the pro-gas uh, drilling, drilling people who say that this can be done safely and the antis who say, well, it's a danger to water supplies and other things. It's not a danger to water supplies. The U.S. EPA had appointed by President Obama, Lisa Jackson, said under oath, there's no evidence of any water supplies being harmed by hydrofracking, yet the left and the uh, radical enviros just ignore that all the time. It doesn't seem like rational debate matters anymore. Well, exactly right, and this goes back to this kind of quasi-religious environmentalism we're talking about, where any alternative point of view is not an alternative point of view, it's heresy, so it can't be even entertained. Um, you know what, as I say, back to the idea that you need to make arguments I think that appeals to that sensibility, the environmental sensibility. What amazed me is that the gas that they're pulling out of Pennsylvania, I, I had no idea about this, goes right into pipelines, right from the well site, and goes right into New York City, right to my stove right now. <laughs> when I turn on my stove, I am benefiting from local gas. And you know, there is a kind of local war movement in New York City right now, an appeal to, to local resources, local farms. Well, this gas is local too, local energy. Right. And, and, and that, I think that has great environmental appeal. You know, they don't have to truck this stuff in. We don't have to negotiate with the Middle East for it. We don't have to, it's not generating nuclear power. Let it me doesn't. also say, too, that um, here in New York City, I'm uh, on my co-op board. And like many co-ops, we are replacing our boilers. Sure. Because dirty oil number six, you no longer can use it. You have to go to number two. But really we want to do is we want to have gas boilers, which is the cleanest of all. Of course, but, and, ch- and cheapest. There's not enough gas right now to bring to my street. Interesting. By the way, I think uh, you know, a number two fuel oil may be selling for 4 or $5 a gallon, where natural gas is probably a third the cost, maybe even less. You know, another real anomaly out there, outrageous anomaly, is the, uh, on the one hand, the concern of so many political figures in New York City, often, uh, and understandably so, minority political figures, about the uh, problems of asthma, killing, I guess, thousands of young people. There are statistics that show that, but there's terrible problems with asthma, often in poorest neighborhoods, and that has to do with the number six fuel oil. And if natural gas was brought into the city and a lot of the uh, buildings, the apartment buildings that are burning oil were converted to natural gas, that would surely clean up the air. I wonder if New York State Health Commissioner Nero Shaw is going to keep that in mind. Well, exactly right. You know, the environmentalists were all geared for this alternative energy production, which just hasn't happened. And you know what they say about the best laid plans. They hadn't anticipated this, this gas find. But can you just imagine New York City 
with all this gas, this clean gas, burning gas in their boilers, with buses that run on, on natural gas. I mean, it would transform New York and, as you say, really help people with breathing problems. By the way, give Mayor Bloomberg for all his problems, and I really bristle at the, uh, the nanny statism of Mayor Bloomberg. I could give him credit for strongly supporting natural gas drilling, and the governor is yet to take a stand on it. At the very least, it seems to me, Governor Cuomo early on could have said, look, this is a wonderful thing if it can be done safely. It means cleaner air. It means jobs for our people. It means wealth for the state. Let's hope it can be done safely, but he won't even say that. Well, I, I mean, you've made this point. I mean, the kicking the can down the road on this issue is uh, a, a tragedy. It's a true tragedy. And, you know, as uh, I think your previous guest, uh, Richard, was saying, you know, this opportunity for New York will not last forever. The price of gas, the availability of gas other places may make it so that the gas in the southern tier of New York State won't be economically pulled out in the future. It's right now that we have the potential to really benefit from yeah. this gas. We're talking to James Pinero, who's the managing editor of New Criterion. A couple of people are just uh, IM'd me wondering what New Criterion is. I didn't do a thorough job in describing it. Why don't you give a quick uh, thumbnail, if you would, of it? Oh, sure. Well, we're a uh, 30-year-old cultural journal. We're monthly. We're online at newcriterion.com. Um, and we uh, come at it from a conservative cultural point of view, but at the same time, uh, interestingly enough, we're high modernists. So we, we like abstract <laughs> art. And what is that? Oh, in terms of, uh, of uh, modern art that you're saying that That's you are. right, yeah. And Hilton Kramer was one of the founders, or the famer, is that a uh, founder? Excuse me. He was a one-time very famous uh, cultural and art critic for the New York Times and That's the New right. York Post. Yeah, uh, Hilton, and for the New York Post, yeah. right. Hilton uh, was the chief art critic for the New York Times uh, and uh, decided to leave in the early 1980s because he wanted more... Uh, editorial freedom and founded his own cultural journal. We're a non-profit and, uh, you know, regrettably Hilton passed away a year yeah. ago, but we try to carry on his legacy at the publication. One of the things he used to do for the uh, New York Post was write a Times Watch column, isn't that right? He really turned against the New York Times and felt they had kind of gone over the uh, left bank, so to speak. Yeah, it was a great <laughs> column, and the, it, the funny thing is the Times actually wrote a very nice obituary for Hilton and very cleverly kind of slid over the fact he wrote a Times Watch column. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> James Pinero, it was great having you with us. I uh, would love to get you back soon, uh, if not uh, when you have your uh, article appear in the City Journal on hydrofracking before that. When do you think that article is going to be coming out? Because the publication only comes out, what, twice a year? It's, uh, it's quarterly. It has quarterly. a long lead time. You know, I really like when I do these stories to spend a lot of time on them and really look at all that issues involved. So it probably will be summer or the fall. Okay, well, we'll get you back either then or earlier, and if people want to read your PCB uh, uh, article that you wrote for the City Journal, that is available online as well, is it not? That is, yes. Yeah. It's, uh, just, I think, you know, Google PCB Hudson City Journal will come right up. Yeah, or James Panero and PCB, something like that. Yes, exactly. James, thanks for joining us this morning. You're a great guest, and look forward to having you back again. Thanks so much. Real okay, pleasure. take care. James Panero of the new Criterion. Check it out if you have the interest. This is Fred Dicker live at the State Capitol. We've got to take a break, and we'll be right back. Fred Dicker live from the State Capitol is sponsored in part by CDTA. Get on board. Visit CDTA.org today.